The Black Jaguar is here, for sure, getting us ready to quote-unquote die and have a clean new start. What else can the end of time be but our liberation from the mental prisons in which we have been trapped? For indigenous people of South America, the Black Jaguar is a much respected spirit, related to death, the healing powers of thunder and lightning, and to all sacred forces that purify and renew life when it becomes stagnant or sick. Its medicine provokes a fast healing that doesn't wait for a process to happen. It just shows up and says enough of this and terminates it. It doesn't act out of cruelty or to punish. This is a medicine that works to support life's balance, even when it apparently brings death or destruction. In reality, it is protecting the health and continuity of life. Unlike other sacred powers, this one doesn't give us exactly what we asked in our prayers. It gives us what we really need, even when it hurts. When a power like the Black Jaguar shows up, it's time to change, and there is no possible negotiation. Of all the forces that are exerted on us over our lifetime, at least for me, love has been the most powerful of all. As our population increases, our planet becomes smaller and smaller. It's therefore very important that we all learn how to love and accept each other. And whenever that's not possible, at least learn how to tolerate one another. I learned that very valuable lesson early on in life because of changing cultures. I moved from Greece to the United States, and to this day, people ask me, are you Greek or are you American? I'm a human being, just like all of us. And then I am Greek or American or Chinese or Indian. come to understand and realize that there are as many ways to live life as there are people on this planet. 2,500 years ago, Socrates said that the perfect human being is all human beings put together. It is a collective. It is a we. It is all of us together that make perfection. The next piece of music talks all about that, and I would like to dedicate it to Shah Jahan and Mumtaz Mahal and to the architects and engineers and sculptors that loved the pieces of marble and to this architectural wonder of beauty we call the Taj Mahal. And also, I would like to dedicate it to all the people in India who loved this concert into existence and thus enabling us and thus enabling us to send a very powerful and much needed message around the world a message of love unity acceptance and tolerance the song will begin once again with our venezuelan friend pedro eustache playing a 2500 year old armenian instrument called the duduk it's called love is all The story, in summary, is that of a person who wants to know the meaning of life. At the beginning, Faust seems to have everything a learned person could want, but still he's unsatisfied. By the end of the play, he's experienced everything that anyone could want, love, fame, wealth, power, and all manner of supernatural experience. 
Then, just before he dies, he realizes that happiness comes from working in the service of one's talents and one's world. This theme applies through all times, but we should keep in mind that Faust is set in Germany in the mid-1500s. At that time, the Renaissance was being felt in Europe, its effects rippling out from Italy, the heart of the Renaissance. With the Middle Ages over, the great thinkers were embracing new ideas about humanity. Instead of viewing wisdom as a kind of pyramid, where book learning was piled into the intellect, thoughtful human beings looked to themselves, their centers, for knowledge. In this perspective, Faust is the Renaissance person, whose achievements are gained by examining his soul rather than reading a book. And like the true Renaissance figures, and like the true seekers of every age, Faust is in a state of becoming. Freed from the medieval confines of church doctrine, Faust looks to his heart for intuitive leadership and aspires to God as his rightful goal. This is the end of the session. Hello there. Have you ever felt like no matter what you try to do to heal, nothing ever works? When you try to do those self-help techniques, matters get worse and worse and worse and worse? If the answer is yes to those questions, then chances are you're caught in the healing trap. The healing trap occurs when you have two completely contradictory needs. Which needs exactly? To understand that, we have to go back in time. We have been living in the emotional dark age for a very, very long time. The reality is, we don't understand emotion. We don't understand the function of emotion. We don't understand how to treat emotions, how to deal with it, what to do when they come up. As a result, even the most well-meaning and the best parents that we have on Earth today mistreat their children's emotions. When we are little and we are facing a problem, what happens? Emotion arises. Same thing as when we're adults. But chances are, when emotion arose within you, when you had a problem when you were younger, you were not treated well. Your emotions were not treated appropriately. For example, Let's say that you didn't want to go to school. Obviously, doing something that you have to do but don't want to do makes you feel powerless and also sad. But when you express that powerlessness and that sadness, what happened? The chances are, you were invalidated. What they usually do is to disapprove of the way that you feel. At worst, they directly shame you for the way you feel. At best, they may say something along the lines of, Come on now, everyone has to go to school. Quit your whining and get in the car, we're going to be late. Essentially, the caregivers in your life made you feel like there was no good reason for you to feel the way you felt. And so you decided there must be something wrong with you. And so you felt ashamed of yourself. We, as physical humans, are dependent on our caregivers for a lot longer than the majority of species on this planet. And more than that, we're a group species. As a group species, our survival and our ability to thrive depended on being a part of the group. And so quite literally, any kind of separation or exclusion, any kind of disapproval showed to us from the group, was actually a risk of death. Even though the modern world has evolved so that we can essentially live as single people in the world today, we are not wired for it. We are wired as a group species, we are wired to live communally, we are wired to be dependent on the group that we choose to be a part of or are born into. With this kind of wiring, the approval of our caregivers, mostly parents, mattered more than anything. Approval equals love and survival in our minds, disapproval equals being unloved, 
and thus being alone and not surviving in our minds. The process of socialization, which all children go through, including you, is essentially a process of aspects of us being approved of and aspects of us being disapproved of. Parents demonstrate their approval and disapproval in various ways, and also punish and reward according to their approval or disapproval in various ways. So what did we do to ensure our survival and to fit into the group? We made damn sure that we had approval. We altered ourselves and suppressed all kinds of aspects of ourselves, specifically so that we would get that approval. And what we don't remember is how incredibly painful this process was. What we learned is that love was absolutely conditional. It was conditioned upon us doing certain things and not doing other things. In order to be able to do this to ourselves, to say, erase aspects of your being from your consciousness so that you were only what was acceptable to the beings that you were around as a child, you had to suppress a desire. That desire was to be loved and approved of exactly as you are. We wanted that look in our parents' eyes that said nothing is wrong with you, nothing needs to be changed or fixed, you're perfect as you are. Let's call this unconditional approval. Alas, none of us really got this message, did we? No. Instead, we went on trying to fix ourselves and trying to get approval any way we could. What happened, because it was so painful to meet with the disapproval of other people, is we became our own self-moderators. We started to criticize ourselves to keep ourselves in line. We started to be the ones to make sure that we would punish ourselves when we stepped out of line. We became our own worst nightmare. We took on the endless task of fixing ourselves so that we would be lovable. Of course, it is at this point that the people around us started to call us good. So what happened when we decided to do this to ourselves? To disown aspects of ourselves, to suppress them, to become only what was acceptable? Let's imagine this was you. At that moment, you created a major split inside yourself. A split between two halves with two competing needs. A split between the aspect of you who actually needs a solution to problems that you face, and the aspect of you who needs the exact opposite. The aspect of you who needs unconditional approval, which is essentially to be told, nope, there is no change that needs to be made to you, you do not need to be fixed. Let's call this unconditional approval. Because this is a need, and this is a need, you end up completely stuck. To be crass about it, you end up screwed. Because anytime you're looking for a solution, you are essentially denying or going in direct opposition to this need, and the side of you that needs unconditional approval is getting screwed. Or, if you go with unconditional approval and say, you know what, you're fine the way you are, the side of you that needs a solution is not getting its need met, and it's completely screwed. So you get stuck, and there's no forward movement, and no matter which action you take, the other aspect of you is being denied its rightful place 
is being denied what it actually needs, and you're in this state of fracture. On the one hand, healing is good. That's this side. It's great to find a solution to your problems when you're sick or when you're not feeling good or when you want to improve your life in some way. On the other hand, it implies that something isn't okay as it is and needs to be changed for the better. It needs to be fixed. So what happens if this suppressed and highly subconscious need for unconditional approval is strong within you is that when you try to heal yourself, the aspect of you that needs unconditional approval will be triggered. It will dig its heels in to the degree that you obsessively try to fix yourself. It will resist that same amount, and you will soon notice that nothing you ever do seems to work. This is the healing trap. A death-defying tug-of-war between the aspect of you who needs a solution that is pulling in this direction, and the aspect of you that needs unconditional approval for exactly how it is, which is pulling you in this direction. And the more you try to win the fight by trying to find a solution and by trying to heal, the more pain you'll feel. If you are caught in the healing trap, then it's necessary for you to find alignment between the two warring aspects of yourself. And how you do that is the following. One, showing the aspect of you that needs a solution, that the conditional approval that is inherent in your quest for healing is the actual problem and thus unconditional approval is the actual solution. Two, showing the aspect of you that needs unconditional approval, that the other aspect of itself is trying to find solutions not because it needs it to change to be loved, but because it loves it already, and thus obviously wants it to feel good instead of bad. In other words, healing can be loving instead of a commentary on wrongness. Three, Allow yourself to mentally leave one aspect of yourself out of the picture and where it wants to be while meeting the other aspect's needs. We need to accept that as people, even though we may call ourselves by one name, we are not unified beings as we stand. We are in fact many different aspects of self, many different selves. And those selves express themselves in different situations, some come out sometimes and go away other times. You are a conglomeration of many fractured aspects of self. Until you are willing to admit to this, there's no hope that you can find integration and thus be in a state of wholeness. To address these two different aspects of self that we're talking about relative to the healing trap, I want you to do a meditation where you close your eyes and ask to see the two aspects of yourself in front of you, the one that needs unconditional approval and the one that needs the solution. Then you're going to engage in an intentional visualization, an intuitive one, where you interact with them each. Ask them questions. For example, one question you could ask the aspect of you who wants healing is what would be so bad about not having a solution? You will often find it boils down to the fear of being alone if the problem isn't fixed. You could ask the aspect of you that needs unconditional approval, why don't you want to heal or get better? You could have the aspect of you that wanted a solution provide for the aspect that wants unconditional approval whatever that side has always wanted and needed but never got. For example, the message that it's never going to be alone. I will tip you off 
before you go into this process, that the aspect of you that needs a solution is almost always a conscious adult aspect, whereas the aspect of you that needs unconditional approval is almost always a child aspect. Circling back to the third point I made that must be done when we're looking to integrate these two fractured aspects of selves, I suggest that you allow for a conscious split within yourself between these two aspects, where while you are meeting one of their needs, you are allowing the other to be in a space where its needs are being met, and not forcing it to be usurped by the other. One thing that's crucial to understand when we're beginning this process of reintegration is that unconscious splits are what is truly dangerous. Conscious splitting may in fact be the very step that is necessary to take that actually leads you to integration in a state of wholeness. That's the only way to meet these sometimes highly contradictory needs that exist in the selves that live within you. As this concept applies to the healing trap, anytime you're seeking a solution to your problem, you can imagine consciously leaving the aspect of you that needs unconditional approval with someone who's unconditionally approving and far away from the hospital or self-improvement technique or seminar. To the contrary, anytime you are engaged in unconditional approval, you can, for example, imagine the aspect of you that needs a solution being set loose in the library or meeting with a transcendent guide to tirelessly seek out the solution. So whenever you find yourself in a situation where no matter what you do, no matter how desperate you are to heal, everything you do makes you worse instead of better, consider that you may in fact be inside the healing trap. Consider that there are two aspects of yourself that are at war and that alignment needs to happen between them. And that all you need to do to find that alignment is to put these two aspects of self in communication with each other to promote a positive relationship between them where there is space for each one of their needs to be met. So a big, a big part of this really was, on one hand, feeling deeply into the pain of who I had become, who I, I had allowed myself to become, which was so disempowered. Um, I mean, you know, I had so many issues. From, there was just so much. And I, so the old me was like, but you are so damaged. You are so broken. You are so messed up. And yet I knew that the future self was a real possibility. Like I knew that that was my real self, but the, the, the gap was so wide that you know plus my career wasn't what i wanted it my relationship with my husband wasn't what i wanted it to be so it was it was like overwhelming and there were times where i could feel into the story that i had created which was i'm just gonna die because it's easier because then i don't have to face all of this and i had created yeah and I had created this beautiful story that, oh, this poor woman, she was so lovely and she could have had it all, but she died of this mysterious illness. And I had to also, just as I was feeling into the future possibility of expansion, I also had to feel fully into the possibility 
that I had created for myself, which could end in death. Right? It's almost and so, like it's not. Being dissatisfaction was creating this other out, this unwanted outcome that you really didn't want, but it was it was serving a purpose for you apparently at the time. It was serving a purpose, absolutely. And and I had to go there. I had to go. Well, why did I create this? Because I didn't create this out of stupidity, out of you know weakness. Like there was a. I knew that there was a reason why I was living out all those shadows and why I was feeling so weakened. And ultimately, I realized that yes, like I had a death wish because it was too hard to create what I really wanted. You know, it was like, okay, so I'm living with this death wish because it's too hard and because I was blaming my mother for all my pain. I was blaming my father for a whole other set of pain. So I was in, I was blaming, I was in victim mode and I just had given up. And it was easier to go but I'll just die because there's still like a beautiful romantic story there. Oh my goodness. Wow. That must have, were you shocked or were you, was that a, like when you realized that, that, that must have been very sobering and very alarming. Yes. Well, it was, you know what, in some ways it was liberating to finally go, okay, like now we have the truth. It's not that there's something wrong with you. Like, that's what I realized. That is how powerful we are. And, you know, at the end of the day, I've always been deeply, deeply, deeply mesmerized since the age of five with illness and disease. I've always just been mesmerized by it because I think I always knew since a child, was like, what is this thing that we call illness? Why does it come to some people? but not to others, you know, it is, it is very random. And of course, you know, nutrition has a lot to do with it and genetics and, you know, there's all these things, but ultimately there's a deeper mystery to illness. And that was my fascination. And so when I broke down completely in spite of all my nutritional studies, et cetera, et cetera, what I found was that, I mean, I heard spirit guide me and say, this is your initiation. This is your time to heal yourself because you can. And because you came here to show others how to do it. But before you can show others, you have to do it yourself. And so once I got that message, I, and I really got it. You know, something really clicked. And I stopped going to doctors. I stopped trying to look for answers outside. And I just fully focused on, okay, I'm going to take on this initiation. I could die from it. But at least I die free. Wow. So it was really, it was that dramatic of, a moment of saying, okay, I'm gonna take this challenge on and I'm gonna embody the fact that I chose this. 
things, nothing external. Of course, initially it was like, well, how did I choose this? You know, so I had to work with all of that. So it was really working with the resistance and seeing I can choose a future timeline by embodying it and by using my will in the right way because so far I had used my will in the wrong way. Yeah, that's, that's I think part of the beauty because everybody is using their will oftentimes to create what they don't want versus what they do want. So that, that is so beautiful. Yes. Thank you. That's fun. Thank you very much. Thank you. You know, the musicians in this orchestra represent a great many of the world's nations and religions and philosophies and schools of thought and schools of music. And in their diversity, they bring great beauty, strength, and color to my music. And to some degree, you know, like I realized that I was using my will almost to prove to my mother and my father, but primarily it was my mother, to prove, look how miserable you made me. Look how little you loved me. So you're like trying to punish her. Yes, I was completely punishing her. Completely. I, I fully ownership of that it was like actually everything that I have done so far was trying to punish her whereas my, but then on other in other ways I was trying to please her so it was like this it was all for her so you weren't really living for you you were you were you were giving your power to her and you didn't even realize because you've been doing it so long that you're actually giving your power away to her and you had to detach become unattached to her and your father and the external it sounds like in order to move forward and take ownership of all the ways that i had disempowered myself and then of course there were a few things in life that i had kind of like stolen for me it's like okay there's certain things that i steal for me that i take and claim but not from a place of like of course i can claim them from a place of like shame and guilt and so okay i live my life my way in these terms but it's like stealing so there's shame and guilt which is the lowest vibration yes oh well you right. can you know, like Dr. Brene Brown talks about guilt being a useless emotion because it doesn't give any benefit to you or anyone around you. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so once I had that realization of the guilt and the shame that I was living for the few things that I had claimed for myself, whilst being in total... Um, disempowerment towards really my parents and then it was my doing it had nothing to do with them you know then it was a whole reclamation of my life and and then I got the strength to go okay if I'm going to live and if I'm going to take my energy and apply it to 
fully healing my life, everything has to be my way. Wow. So what did that look like? You know, it was like, a radical leap from what was to now you have that realization. So how did you proceed forward knowing that you had to make that radical, you know, that's a radical leap. Clearly, you have to come faith. Completely. Well, in some ways, it was easy because I was so sick. So it was like, well, if I'm not going to do it, I'm going to die. Okay. So that gave me almost like carte blanche to go, this is life or death. And once I felt, once I saw the whole story, was like I want to reclaim my life I had not lived my life wow. I thought I did but I haven't lived my life and of course then you know the other big piece of the realization was just how much life was there waiting to be lived and and in many ways just how wild I actually was you know, there was like a wildness within me that was there waiting to be stripped away. And I realized that all my disease and my um, extreme exhaustion was because I kept shutting myself down over the years and boxing myself in me. Silent without knowing it, you were silencing your voice, you were making yourself smaller to please others, you were being less than because you wanted to please your mother, your father, whoever. And that, you know, holding that energy in for so many years finally took a toll where it started beating you up inside, it sounds like. Completely, completely. And you know, once we liberate that energy, and of course, you know, it's a, it's a progressive um, journey. It's more and more and more, and it really became like my body taught me everything. What really changed everything was the stripping away of the toxins and the deep cellular cleansing and regeneration. Which, as much as all the specialists, you know, were like, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. That was without me to rebirth myself, or rather, it allowed my body, it allowed me to put my body into nature's hands, onto nature's operating table, and to go, okay, you know what, I have no clue, because I thought I had so much clue, you know, I mean, I was an overachiever in all ways, like, I was intelligent I was good and I thought I had it all figured out but then the breakdown of the body was kind of like well what have you figured out because look at your life when you take away all the facade right and in many ways that was the hardest thing to face but once I faced it it was the most liberating moment because then there was nothing more to hide it was like okay here's the shattering here is the truth wow wow so you 
gave up the story of playing small and blaming anything, everywhere, everyone. Mm-hmm. And, well, and I also gave up the idea that I know. And what came in was like, you know what? I don't want to know anymore. The only thing I want to know is what is the divine's plan for me? Because I knew, and of course this came from my, you know, really long spiritual journey. Like I knew we all came here for a reason. We all are in a body because we have something to give, something to live out. And at that point I was like, okay, I don't care what it is. I don't care who I am, what I'm meant to be. But all I want to be is what the divine plan is for me. I wanted nothing. And I was willing to literally give up everything. If my marriage had to come to an end so that I could live my full self, cool, no problem. Show me, I'll do it. If I had to use all my material things, no problem. Show me, I'll do it. It was just, you know, that moment. And from there, I allowed full guidance from the divine. And all I did really, and all I'm still doing, is I just took instructions. You know, listen and obey, listen and obey. And then, of course, take action. And when I couldn't take action, and this, of course, still happens because I'm still on this journey, then I feel into the resistance. And he was the one, actually, who also told me, this is all about your deepest spiritual initiation. Uh, You're here to, you know, find your inner shaman. And so he left me complete and utter freedom. And he just knew that for the next two years, it was going to be a really wild ride. And I had all his support. Um, so I, with all those externals, mom, dad, brother, sister, cousin, mother, father, yada, 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 you needed to take care of you so that you could get down to the heart of the matter and what really, what really you had to deal with because what you thought you had to deal with wasn't what you had to deal with. I think yeah. you've been surprised when you realized, oh my gosh, I created this death wish. I don't think anybody would ever want to admit to. It's like, oh yeah, I created all these, you know, accidents, all these diseases, and it was a death wish because. You know. I feel that a lot of women, you know, because through the process, really, what I what I found, and, and of course now working with mostly women, what I see is that so many of us, you know, we are wild divine creatures and we know that and so few of us live out our wild divine in a healthy way because we have these ideas right i mean we it it either um goes in an in an unhealthy direction where it expresses itself in needing external validation, superficial, demanding, sulky, jealous, manipulative, contractive, self-sacrificing, victimized, needy, 
insecure, game plain, erratic, emotionally hungry, desperate, scattered, fearful, seductive, possessive, vindictive, and rigid. Well, I, I wanted to actually start from the bottom and go up. What's happening right now in the world is that we're in this time where we're getting slammed up against our own sense of powerlessness. And this is especially true for the millennial generation right now. Because uh, if you look at the millennial wound, I'm actually going to be talking a lot more about this as the time uh, moves through this whole crisis. But the millennials were, were sort of educated into this idea that if they just follow these steps, then they get the reward at the end of the tunnel, right? But they were actually sold a pipe dream. So the majority of millennials got kicked out into the workforce when the 2008 crash happened. So it was like their life is building up to this crescendo and then it doesn't pan out again for them. So they've already got this wound, which is pretty interesting from a metaphysical level to look at because I've never seen a generation despise, I'm talking despise the generation before it. The millennials despise the boomers. And it, energy around that that's like, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how much energy I put into something nothing's gonna pan out so why try and why bother that's the energy if you were gonna really like sum it up of the millennial generation and what's happening with this crisis right now is that that that's a re-wound i call it a reflective experience when you have a primary wound that isn't healed your life it's like it's almost like you drop a stone in the center of the water and there are these subsequent ripples and each one of them is a mirror experience. It reflects the original traumatic experience, right? We know this in relationships. We have a dad that leaves us when we're a little girl, for example, or a little boy, and then all of a sudden it's like each successive partner we get with leaves us, right? So what we're experiencing right now is this massive rewounding for the millennial generation, especially around it doesn't matter how much energy I put into something, it's not gonna work for me. And we see this in a lot of the small business people who started their businesses and now they're looking at bankruptcy, right? So what I'm, I'm sensing within the human collective, especially the millennial generation, is that there really needs to be a coming back into a personal sense of power. First of all, what is power? What does it mean? How do I create it? And what are these different elements that go into being in my power instead of being in a state where I'm powerless to the forces that I recognize as other than me, right? So. I feel like that's what needs the most focus and attention at this given time. So I would like to start this off with, with the definition of power, because it's not the way that most people think about it, right? So we use the word power, and then we have whatever association we have with that word, and because of that, we get ourselves a little bit travel, right? So the first thing that I have to say about power is that it's amazing. Like, power is a wonderful thing. It's not corrupt in and of itself. It is nothing but energy, right? What matters about power is how power is used. But to define power, it's really just the capacity to create, direct, influence, and do something so as to bring about what is wanted. So desire and power go hand in hand. So you have power to the degree that you are aware of your own capacity to create, direct, influence, and do 
something to bring about your desires or what you're wanting. Right? So this is something. This is inborn. We are all creators by nature. Power is inborn. It is your birthright, and people have much more of it in a given moment than they have any awareness of. So, what's really happening in the world right now is that people are being squeezed into deciding what really matters to them and decide what's really important because that's the fertile ground for what I want, what I want to create, right? So we're in the process of defining that. So it's almost like the universe is turning up the heat right now to to distill out what it is that we are wanting to create. And the more we distract ourselves with Netflix, and the more we distract ourselves with memes and things like this, and the, like be fun in moderation, the less we're in that process of distillation. And I would hope that people would get on board with that process instead of be in resistance to that process, right? Yeah, because I'm so power, right? Power can't be taken from you. This is like the first thing that I want to share. I have a whole lot of things to share about this, but people think that that power can be taken, but it can't because free will is an absolute of your existence. It's not actually possible for somebody to take away free will. All they can do is put pressure on it. So what I mean by that is like somebody who let's go really extreme with this. Let's say that somebody locks you in a dungeon, right? And they've got their torture devices. They still can't make you talk. They can't actually do it. What they can do is put so much pressure on your free will that you eventually choose to comply. But that's the important thing to notice there. You're still choosing to comply. So what I wish to say is that I understand that a lot of people in the world are getting squeezed right now, and that's about to get worse. But it doesn't mean that you lose that inherent, you know, power to choose. And it's much more empowering, in fact, to Consciously choose compliance, or consciously choose non-compliance, rather than to just tell yourself they made me do it. Because I feel like a lot of people, especially who are interested in spiritual stuff, what they do when they they hear that words are powerful is that they use that awareness to drive parts of themselves deeper into suppression, and that's not the way to use language to change the state. Of whatever aspect of self is in that condition. So, like, let's say that what you're hearing is this inner voice of "I am, I have no control, I hate this," you know, all of those what we consider negative internal mantras. You don't use positive mantras to shut those up or negate those. In fact, you invite them very powerfully to the surface to create this loving space around them. And this is, you know, what I want people to understand: to love is to take something as a part of yourself. That doesn't get to be a conditional thing. That means including the parts of you that we would judge as negative, judge as lower consciousness, or whatever else we, we would like to label those things as. We need to create the space for those elements to come to the surface, and then it is in the making space for them. It is in the consideration, in seeing, feeling, hearing, and understanding them that they start to actually open up. Those constructs begin to open up, so that we can introduce contradictory—that's not the right word—antidote um, type of frequencies. You know, maybe there's a new way of looking at this. That can only happen if those parts are allowed into the room, not shamed out of the room. You got to decide. So it's interesting because what you just asked actually dovetails this nice transition or pivot off of the conversation about the sacred internal warrior, right? Because The sacred warrior is is about putting all of their commitment and energy and force 
in the direction of what is wanted instead of pushing against the unwanted. So the first thing to do when you are getting into that river of flow is to connect to that internal warrior, that sacred internal warrior, and to figure out what you stand for. This is a very powerful question for people, especially millennials who have largely lost touch with this completely. What do I stand for? What is worth dying for, even? Because if you think this is the thing, like I have lived a life. People ask me, why do? How do I live a life like this? I've decided what's meaningful, and I decided nothing can come away of it. So I had to be able to jump ship. You know, a lot of people they're they're riding the boat of safety. <laughs> the universe just crashed your boat, by the way. But um, most people are sitting on this this boat, and this boat isn't really getting them anywhere. It's not getting them any closer to what they desire. And so the, they're sort of getting forced into a position where it's like, get off the boat and go for what you really want, because that's a scary process. Because it's uncharted waters for the majority of people, right? And I got put in that position in my teen years. I was lucky in that way. And what I did is I jumped because I had nothing to lose. I realized, and then life since then has been better because I've decided that it doesn't matter whether I get there or not. What matters is whether I like the journey there. So I better be doing what matters to me. And if I am doing what matters to me and what is valuable, then I have a core they cannot take. So my whole life builds itself around that core. And I'm, I'm, I mean, there's not a day that is absent of meaning in my life. And that's why. Joyous. There will be up and downs in everybody's life. It's not like I've maintained this perfect state of peace. This recent situation that we just got ourselves into has eradicated my two sources of income. I own a retreat center and I do events. Now I can't do them anymore. Life can be very scary for me very fast, but there's one thing they can't take. That's what matters to me, and the fact that I can commit my energy to that because no one controls what you commit your energy to. It is entirely in your hands. And if you're doing that, you're actually with the flow of where the universe wants to take you, and your pre-birth intention. And co-create is not all about this uh, inner work. When once we get further down this this river, so Teal, would you like to speak to that and how community and uh, team has has really affected affected your life? Oh my gosh, my life. <laughs> Well, I mean, none of what I'm doing today would be possible without the team that I have. I mean, literally none of it. Like, I, I'm not the one that sets up my technology, which is the modus that I now communicate with everybody through. Um, my son had to come into my life to really catalyze me into embracing people again. I wouldn't even be doing this job if he hadn't been born, right? So, it, I feel like we live in an interdependent universe. We have to awaken to this. That should have been part of the lesson out of what has just occurred, because we just saw everything fall like a domino set, which means everything stacked and tiered on top of each other. I feel like part of coming out of this sort of victim mentality that much of us have been caught in is to realize that it really matters what our collective purpose is and what our individual role within that greater purpose might be. To realize that there is strength in numbers. Part of what's been not so great about technology, go either way. We understand there's positives and shadow and everything, right? The negative side of technology is that a lot of people have disconnected from each other, and now they're just staring at their screens. So we've almost lost the power of the '60s, as I call it. They realized that if you united around a common goal of a contribution. Could be in the direction of creating whatever we want to create. Right? What people are getting just out of what has happened here, even though it wasn't 
a consciously organized communal effort. We might have some awareness of what happens if that many individuals make a decision to collectively do something at the same time. That should give us great hope in terms of the new earth that's coming. So, do you believe in humanity's future? Is it, I mean, I just spoke with Diana Cooper. She spoke about the golden era, and um, we had this huge discussion because I was like, but how can it be bad when I see all the uh, awful things happening? Um, but she really believes in the golden time that that's coming. And people are saying we're going into the fifth dimension. Mark Khan is saying it, but I know, you know, I, I'm smiling because I know it was winning. Is that pers your perspective too, that we're moving towards something positive and good? Ultimately, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. But I mean, it's. It, I'm always really struggling as a spiritual teacher about the words that I use around this particular subject, because what people need and want so bad is inspiration, and yet I'm the teacher of authenticity. So, do I choose between the authentic truth, or am I more authentic to the fact that I want people to feel inspired? that's the crux that I get into and now that I've said that I kind of outed myself already and that you asking me that question today is a little bit like coming back to me when I was three years old and asking if I have faith that I'm gonna get through everything and have a good life knowing that what was ahead of me was 13 years of ritual trauma to ultimately create what you see today which is me in this state of awesomeness which is totally worth it what I'm watching outside this dimension isn't good. It's not good. It's basically a, a conflict that is so intense that it wakes up the totality of humanity and the only people who are left are the ones who are conscious. So do I ultimately see the golden age? Hell yeah. Absolutely. Everyone that says that that's what's coming is 100% correct. I do see that, but I see it on the other side of a conflict like we've never seen before. Conflict from the outside or on Earth? on the planet, like between humans. Between humans. Okay. Well, I guess we got to make a choice then. Yes, we do need to make a choice. But it's also the reason that I choose to say this is because it can get very confusing the level of doom and dread that many people who are conscious are feeling right now when they simultaneously feel the aspect of themselves that, that feels like we're headed towards a new earth. The thing about creation is that destruction often takes place beforehand. And most forces in this universe are in favor of a leveling of the playing field before a new system is built rather than changing the old. So we're being called basically at this point in time to figure out what it is that we want to create. We have to get really super conscious, really super fast, and it is no longer a luxury. Awakening is not a luxury anymore. It is an absolute necessity, even for survival on this planet to stay a match to the earth itself, which is why you're watching people be thrown into such incredible awakening crises right now. It used to be that like you could do awakening slowly. Hell no, not an option anymore. It's literally like a bitch slap to from the universe saying, nope, you're going to wake up and fast. So we're getting ask, help. We're getting help from the outside. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Tons and tons and tons. Okay, that's good to know. Tons and tons and tons. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Wow. But if you but it, but but if you are one of those people who's tapping into the collective, uh, let's say what we're lining up with currently as a human race, don't think you're going crazy, because this is the most unstable that I have ever seen it on planet Earth, 
and the polarization is intense. You're watching people go as deep into unconsciousness as they possibly can go, and to the opposite extreme, people waking up at a faster rate and a more aggressive rate than ever before. So don't be surprised if you're an intuitive person and an empathic person. If you're just feeling some days like, oh my god, I don't know how to survive this roller coaster. It's pretty normal for one of these extreme transition phases. Stay at work. And、uh, the next day I was fine again, but、uh, I just lost so much hope right there and then. So I guess in a way we have to be warriors、uh, on the light side. I've never actually actually liked that word because I don't like the word warrior. But some say you know call call it light workers or light warriors. And in a way you have to really fight for the light. Then I guess. I have the opposite opinion. Okay. I feel like we are being called at this point in time to become more conscious and caretaking of the aspects of ourselves that cannot fight for the light than ever before, and that is the real light work. So I would say that at that that we're getting the opportunity over and over again to confront aspects of ourselves that are shadow aspects. I mean, we would love to separate ourselves from the man who ran over everyone in these, but the reality is, is he is a projection of the collective unconscious. And so we have to be aware of the aspect within us that not only was the victims, and that got run over, and that feels like the world is impossible. And no matter what you do, even if you go try to have fun one day, you're going to get slaughtered, and your life's never going to be the same. And also the aspect of yourself that sometimes just wants to kill everyone, and that's an aspect of ourselves we don't want to look at. And, and I, I really am challenging the spiritual community to become aware of those aspects of self because it's easy to bypass them. It's easy to say, you know, what we're just light warriors, and we're just going to have to focus on that. When the reality is that the aspect of us that really needs our conscious attention, care, and focus are the aspects of ourselves that are so wounded and injured that we actually are either the victim or the perpetrator still. And it is only when we come in and caretake those much darker aspects of self, darker not because they're worse or wrong, darker because they're less conscious. Today we're talking just that we're going to see that unconsciousness disappear within the collective reality, and these events will cease to occur. Because it literally, I will tell you, if we do not take care of that aspect of ourselves, we will be a match to a blowup of the collective unconscious of mankind, which is gearing up to a third world war. So, so in those moments, rather than just pushing for the light. I would have us get super in touch with the aspect of ourselves that is either side of the spectrum in these major attacks that we're going to continue to see. Yeah, I know we have to go. I just want to finish this thought、um, because that day when I was really feeling feeling low, like I get got that anger, you know, and I, I could just imagine what that does to people if I he was standing right in front of me, you know,、uh, or. That we want to destroy things. Like we get so angry when somebody are taking our loved ones. So,、oh, yeah. And then we just、uh, continue that、uh, that that circle. But、yep. you're saying more that I should just have accepted that feeling and yeah, yeah loved it and, and know that he's part of me. And、uh, right, right. I see it now. You should be there unconditionally for the aspect of yourself that isn't okay with it. Right. I mean, in the spiritual community, we have way too much of a tendency to say, you know what? I'm okay with it. It's all in a good place. Like, no, screw that. Nobody had a good day that day. You know, 
Like, we should just be willing to say, this is not good. It doesn't make me happy to watch this. I'm in tune with my anger. I'm in tune with my grief. I'm in tune with the aspect of me that would love to run over people that I don't like. I'm also in tune with the aspect of me that just, like, can't live through the idea of what those parents had to experience, you know? The, the real sheer pain of that is what needs our unconditional presence. And it is through that understanding that we will not become the perpetrator again. And that is what will create the new earth. But like, and this is this is the reason that we're gearing up for what we're gearing up for in preparation for the new earth is that basically most people are not not at a point where they're that conscious yet, and so they will continue to perpetrate as a result of being perpetrated against, which is the cycle we've been caught in for thousands of years, until literally the the experience is so extreme that they can't do it anymore, and that's always been the benefit of suffering. Suffering is a huge wake up call. I have not met a person who has reached awakening without experiencing suffering. It seems to be the doorway most of us walk through. So as a result of that, people will be done with conflict, and they will they will be more aware of the how to take care of the aspects of self that are um, deemed unacceptable, as opposed to continue to make them unacceptable. Yeah, I mean, it feels so right because it's something about everything we're brought up to believe that uh, it's wrong when I do this and I shouldn't do that. And all the shoulds uh, and then we never questioned it and that's why I, I I mean I've been doing interviews for four years and reading all kinds of books but still I fall back to all these feelings and I judge them and I'm like what's the answer and so um, here's the key you ready for the key yeah yeah the aspect of you that needs your conscious presence and care and attention is the part that judges Right. You don't need to make that aspect wrong. See, like, even in the discourse, you made it wrong. Right. Instead, be like, okay, I'd like to understand what judgment does. I would like to understand why judging makes you feel safe. I want to understand the emotions behind it. And I'm going to be here for the aspect of you that's scared and is judging because of it. It's, that's, it's a totally different attitude. And it's, this is, in fact, when humanity and divinity begin to merge. Because divinity comes in and starts to integrate the instead of continue to trumpet. This is why I love what's happening in the spiritual community. This, we're seeing this shift occur. It's no longer about get out of the humanity so you can get into the divinity. It's let's bring the divinity in so it can integrate the humanity and we become whole as a result of it. And we're no longer in any kind of war with any aspect of ourselves. When we end that war, we will watch that war end in the world. Most of the videos that I create are aimed at helping you to recognize and change patterns that are detrimental to your adult life. Now, of course, what this means is that we have to go back to the origins, back to where these patterns began, why they began, and how they began. Inevitably, this is going to take you back to your childhood. It's going to take you back to your interactions with your primary caregivers. For most people, this means your parents and your family of origin. For the sake of fully comprehending what I'm about to present to you in this video, I'm going to ask you to not debate me or each other for this particular moment on the concept of right and wrong in general. And I want you to look at the idea that the path of awakening is inevitably going to take you in the direction of seeing what your parents did wrong, what those before you did wrong, maybe what society itself is doing wrong. Because until this point of awareness, they are unconsciously instilled in you. Unless you become aware of the, let's call it, wrongness of these patterns, you're going to simply perpetuate it. You're going to pass it on to the next generation. You're going to pass it on to all the people around you. Here's the problem. 
people are absolutely terrified that if they become aware of these patterns that are detrimental, if they admit to the wrongness of what their parents did, that they will somehow lose connection, love, and closeness with their parents. This means that social cohesion becomes the excuse to make excuses for detrimental patterns, as well as the excuse not to change. This also, seriously unfortunately, means that the majority of people who are automatically drawn towards awakening, being able to see these patterns and changing them, are the people who often didn't feel a sense of belonging, a sense of love, a sense of connection, a sense of closeness. And their willingness to go in this direction is indicative of the fact that they have less to lose. I have to say here that it is not inevitable that when you start on this path of awakening, when you start to look at these detrimental patterns in your family unit, that you will absolutely lose connection and closeness and all of these things. In fact, multi-generational healing is only possible when you are able to step back and really objectively evaluate these patterns within the household. And doing this awakening process, where you're looking at these detrimental patterns and shifting it together, actually can bring you closer to your family. There's a lot of factors that go into why that happens for one family and why it doesn't for another. For those of you that have a dogged determination to hold on to that closeness and belonging with your family to such a degree that you have a very hard time looking at these negative patterns within your family, you're going to have no issue with today's exercise. However, for those of you who feel like any form of connection any form of closeness with your family just leads to pain. Today's exercise is going to challenge you immensely. People are black and white thinkers. There are many reasons for this. The state of cognitive dissonance that is caused by holding contradictory beliefs, ideas, values, or perceptions causes us distress. It makes it very hard for us to feel in alignment and to make decisions that feel right. Here are some examples. We love to smoke cigarettes, but we know they could cause us to develop cancer. We think blacks are poor, but then we run into one at a five-star resort. We love a political candidate and find out that they have sexual kinks that contradict our sense of their character. We find out that someone murdered someone else, but they also run one of the most successful nonprofit companies which just so happened to have saved hundreds of lives. If we see our parents as all good, we have established mental and emotional harmony. We can go to Thanksgiving dinner and excuse away or justify any negative pattern we see and feel great about our family. If we see our parents as all bad, we have established also a kind of mental and emotional harmony. We can refuse to go to Thanksgiving dinner and invalidate any positive pattern we see and consider ourselves justified in cutting them off from our life entirely. We begin to feel torn when we see both the positive and negative about them. Awareness is a two-sided coin. We live in a universe that contains a lot of contrast and a lot of polarity. This means that on the path of awareness, we have to develop and consciousness. We have to develop the capacity to hold opposing extremes and seemingly contradictory truths. The feeling of being torn between different extremes or seemingly opposing truths feels a lot like being stretched. Now we should pay attention to the sensation of stretching because it often occurs in conjunction with personal expansion. True awakening requires you to expand wide enough to be able to accommodate extremes and contradictions. This, in fact, makes contradictions complementary. In the moment you acknowledge a contradictory truth or state of being and expand wide enough to be able to hold both, you have disidentified with both extremes. You have ceased to become either or, 
and instead have become the thing that is holding both. By holding both, instead of aspects of yourself being separated by them, you have created a state of integration or wholeness within your being. You have also stepped into the realm of choice. Essentially, AND consciousness becomes the unifying factor. To understand more about this, watch my video titled AND Consciousness, the modern day replacement for the middle way. It is very damaging to not recognize and change these detrimental patterns that have been handed to you by your family, by your parents, by society at large. But you want to know the flip side of this coin. It is also damaging to not recognize and accept the beneficial, positive patterns that have been feeding into the way you are today. Ways that work. As far as expansion is concerned, the idea is to continue patterns that benefit you and to change patterns that don't benefit you. All things in existence contain both polarities of negative and positive. And even that can't be a black and white statement because in some situations, what would be negative in one situation is positive in another and vice versa. What does this mean? It means that your parents contain both negative and positive within them. It means they did things right, as well as wrong. I want you to understand that when you came into this embodiment, you opted into a deck of cards. I will debate you in the future about the value of those low-value cards, but for the sake of really grasping the concept, understand that this deck of cards you inherited upon your birth and upbringing means that some of those cards are crap and some are awesome. Today, we are going to make a practice of deliberately looking for those awesome cards within the deck. Your assignment for this week is the following. To become aware of the positive polarity of your parents, and this includes what they did right. To take this further, just like you do with negative patterns, see how what they did right created a positive outcome in who you are and your life today. For example, maybe your mother did amazing with holidays. She was great at decoration, awesome at gifts. She made it a wonderful time for you. So now you're a kind of person that doesn't have a lot of pain around holidays. You're the kind of person who creates a special occasion for everyone else in your life. You're the person who's awesome at decoration. You're the person who can put these things in your ears so you have things to look forward to all year long. Maybe your father was amazing at money. He taught you the value of never being in debt. So maybe today, you're one of those very rare individuals who is not in debt and, in fact, feels financial security instead. So you can grasp this concept better, I'm going to give you some examples from my own life. Both my parents have an incredible work ethic. It is something that they instilled in me very, very young. And it's the main reason why today I have such a high work ethic. Both my parents were animal lovers. I mean obsessed with animals. Not only were they very knowledgeable about them, we had them everywhere. And they also were volunteers for the Humane Society. To say that I have been around animals all my life is about the understatement of the century. I have a vast knowledge about them because of it. I have incredible comfort around them because of it. My life is rich because of it. And also, it's made it so I'm not as uptight and controlling as a person that I probably would be without them being in my life. Neither of my parents ever stood in the way of me achieving something. In fact, their general modus operandi was to get out of the way and let me do whatever the hell I needed to do. Both of them have a high respect for personal purpose and calling. As a result, I'm not burdened by that same internal limitation of the concept of can't, like most people are today. Now, if you can't tell, that has served me immensely, and it will continue to do so. 
To switch this up a bit, I'm going to focus on each of them individually. Let's start with my mother. My mother, who is an activist, refused to raise myself and my brother to be ignorant. Therefore, let's say we ever went on a trip. She refused to let us just sit in a five-star resort. She was the kind of person who wanted to immerse us in the culture of wherever we went, and that meant both good things and bad things. So I remember this one trip when I was in Mexico when we were young. She drug us in the middle of a really poor side of town where I was walking through this collection full of vendors. Now, these people had to take care of very sick loved ones, old people, also sick infants, some of them completely covered in pox. And I watched these street vendors selling at the same time as having these people, these family members, underneath their tables so that they could take care of them at the same time. Now, it was shocking for me, and needless to say, in my childhood, I absolutely hated this. <laughs> However, now looking back on it, I think it's the best thing she ever did, because it is a big reason why I'm such a humanitarian today, and I don't live in a narcissistic mental bubble of a reality of only what I myself have experienced in life. My mother comes from an intellectual family. She is also a feminist. What does this mean? It means that she celebrated debate. Not only that, I was congratulated and even rewarded for forming very strong opinions. How has this benefited me today? Look at my entire career. I can now stand up on stages confidently sharing my opinion. This is not just a big push in terms of my own personal empowerment. This is also a push for the empowerment of women worldwide. Now let's move on to my father. My father comes from a line of diplomats. As such, he developed a real skill and talent for oration. His speech patterns influenced me. His diplomatic way of dealing with things, especially when it came to communication, his way of teaching, influenced me. My father is the one who gifted me with the power of speech. And by the way, that is the reason why I am able to convey such complex concepts in the universe in a way where you can understand them simply. My father is an incredible skier. He was a ski racer when he was younger. It's always the way I'm going to remember him and it was a great way for us to bond when we were younger. He passed this on to me. He taught me how to ski when I was two years old. <laughs> Skiing saved my life quite literally when I was 18 years old. I went on to become a professional skier. And now it's like my favorite way to spend time besides doing what I love doing most, which is this career. It's also a way that I now bond with my own son. Now it's your turn. And before you get into this, I want to say that if it triggers you to even think about looking at what your parents did right or looking at what's positive about them, I want you to ask yourself why. I want you to ask yourself the following question. What bad thing might happen if I see the good or the right in them? You'll find that when it comes to this type of an exercise, where we're forced to look for the positive or the right in things that we want to completely reject because closeness or connection with them feels too painful, what's actually happening here is that we're adding meaning. So let's say that I see this good thing in my mother and so it means, what is it? I have to have a close relationship with her. It's wrong that I'm deciding to stay separate right now. I mean, what is it that you're making that mean? It's always the meaning you add on top of the experience that is creating that pain or that resistance that you have to doing an exercise like this. For those of you who don't really understand this concept of adding meaning to an experience, I want you to watch my video that is titled, Meaning, the Self-Destruct Button. To do this exercise, get a piece of paper and write down as many positives as you can come up with about your parents and all the things they did right. 
then become aware of how those things positively influenced you and positively impacted who you are and your life today. There's also a way to work this backward if it works better for you. You can look at your life right now, the things that you like about yourself, the things that are really working, and trace it backward to see if maybe those character traits or those things that are actually working for you in your life might just originate in things your parents did right. No matter who your parents were, or how objectively bad they did at parenting, there are positives and negatives about them. There are things they did right and also things they did wrong. And the person who has the greatest chance at awakening is the person who can see both sides of that coin. The person who sees both sides of that coin has the greatest capacity to see what doesn't work and to discard it and to draw on those resources that actually do exist for positive in your life. Those positives that came from the influences around you. Speaking about what is happening on Earth right now, many of the conditions of life that we used to take for granted now are really out of balance. And hopefully we still have time to get it back into balance so life may continue. I travel around the world and meet people and talk to people from all different cultures. And everywhere people ask, what can we do? The question, what can we do, is the second question. The first question is, what can we be? Because what you can do is the consequence of who you are. Once you know what you can be, you know what you can do. A spider can build a, a web, a beautiful web. A cat can't. When the spider knows she's a spider, she builds a web. When a cat knows I am a cat, can climb a tree. By knowing our nature, by knowing our gift, by knowing our being, who we are, naturally we know what we can do. And we cannot afford wasting time. We have little time. We need to be precise now. When someone sincerely asks, what can I do? My humble answer, the only answer that I find in my heart to be sincere is, First, find out what you can be.